1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 36 reads as follows, and unto his son will I give one tribe, that David my servant may have a light alway before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. That I may have a light alway before me in Jerusalem. That was a promise that God had given because of his love for David. If you read over in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 19, that's the second verse that I would like to read in your hearing. 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 19. It reads as follows Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah, for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him always a light and to his children. There's something about the promises of God that extends down to the next generation. The Bible says that the name of the wicked shall rot, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, protect the prize. Protect the prize. You may be seated and thank you for standing. The fidget spinner is the latest toy craze in our culture. I have one of them right here I've been practicing with. This little piece of plastic and got a ball bearing I guess in the middle of it. And it's sort of addictive. You just kind of hold it and spin it and called the fidget spinner and um, sales of these little things have gone into the tens of millions and suppliers are struggling with meeting the demand. This little palm-sized spinner here it consists of a ball bearing which sits in this three-pronged plastic device and it can be flicked and spun around and Young people are getting really good where they can flip them from hand to hand. and It's pretty interesting because it was invented by Catherine Hedinger, who lives in Orlando. And you would think Catherine, who invented the fidget spinner, would be sitting on Easy Street right now because these things are sweeping the world. Catherine invented the spinner more than 20 years ago, and she got it patented in 1998. And she should be getting a cut from every spinner sold. But instead, she is getting nothing. Nada. Not a dime. Because in 2005, while facing difficult financial times, she could not afford the $400 fee to keep her patent active. So she had to let it lapse. Ladies and gentlemen, a patent is designed to protect your invention. It serves notice to everyone that you are the creator. Because of that, you have ownership privileges. But when the patent lapses, everything is free game. The spinner became free game when her patent lapsed in 2005 because she could not afford the $400 a year payment on her patent. 
So it became free game. It was picked up by someone who saw an opportunity. I think it may have even gone on Shark Tank, and the rest is history. Catherine Hedinger still lives in Orlando, and she's still struggling to make ends meet while her invention is making others millionaires. What is the moral of the story? You have to protect your prize. You have to protect your prize. The prize for Israel was David. He was a gifted young man who had the favor of Almighty God. He had it on his life and everyone in Israel benefited from that. You see, my friend, when you have the favor of God, it is not contained in a single person. It flows over into those around so that the favor of God is the prize and the prize has to be protected. The Word of God describes this prize as a light. As long as the light is shining, everyone in the vicinity shares the reward of that light. The light may be up here in one of these bulbs, but all of us, because we're in the vicinity of the light, we all share in the reward of the light. So the anointing that was upon David is described as a light. And this is something that the men around David understood. In fact, as David got older and he couldn't fight like he could when he was younger, but you know how it is. We still think we're young and strong in our minds. They say, you know, when you get older, your body, you know, you try to write a check that your body can't cash. You think you can. The other day I was preaching, I jumped off this platform, and when I landed, my knees were like, whoa, what were you thinking? So from now on, I'm using them stairs over there. <laughs> And David was a great warrior. We know that. He was a, a giant killer. And yet when he got older, these giants that he killed had sons, and they were giants, and they all came looking for David. And there was one fella, we read about this guy in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 16. His name was Ishbimenob. And he was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight and he was girded with a new sword and he was thought to have slain David. David somehow got in a hand-to-hand -hand combat with this guy and he was young and strong and it was such a fierce battle that this giant thought he had killed David and no doubt had come pretty close. David was an older man. 2 Samuel 21, 17 says, But Abishai, which was one of David's mighty men, he was quite a warrior. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, secured him or overcame him, this giant, Ishbibanob, and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. In other words, David, we need you to stay alive. Because if you stay alive, the light stays on. And we need the favor of God. They were smart enough to say, David, you're the prize and you must 
be protected. No more giant battles for you. We will fight the giants for you. You are the light, and we cannot risk the light going out. Now, why was David the prize? Even as a young man, it was clear that God had a special touch on his life. Perhaps it was because David had a servant's heart and was not afraid to keep the sheep or to take the food to his brothers who were in battle. He was not afraid to be humble. Perhaps that was it. He was not afraid to worship God. He worshiped God back there while he was taking care of them sheep and all their problems, and all their smells and all their waste and all the, that you have to go through being a shepherd. But he wasn't afraid to do that. He would even have time to take his harp and strum it and sing and write songs and, and glorify God. Maybe it was his courage to protect because he killed a bear and a lion with his own hands when he was just a young teenager to protect the sheep. I'm not sure what of those qualities or the combination of those characteristics caused God to love David so much, but he loved him and he even said, he's a man after my own heart. But then David, they believe he was about 15 years old when he risked his life and killed that giant called Goliath that had so intimidated even the most fierce warriors in the Israeli army. But he did it because he wanted to protect the name of the Lord in the camp of Israel. He took it as a personal offense that this man would come out and challenge the God of Israel. And I just stop and say this right now. I have a special place in my heart for young people who will not allow their ears and their eyes to ingest cursing and swearing and people that speak against God and against the Word of God and the people of God and the house of God. There is something special upon a young person that says, not here, not now. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm offended because it's against my God. I'm going to tell you something. Every time you take a stand for righteousness, heaven takes note of it. I said, heaven takes note of it. When you say, I don't believe that's right. I don't want to be a part of that. And you walk away from it. I'm going to tell you something. Heaven takes note of it. And David said, this guy cannot come against the army of God. This is God's people. Something was happening there. Then Samuel the prophet, even before he fought the giant, came in David's house and anointed him. And the family, you know, they didn't even think much of David. He was the guy in the back 40 over there keeping the sheep. They didn't see it initially. They didn't even invite him up there to the house whenever Samuel had said, hey, I'm going to come and anoint one of your sons to be the next king. Even his own dad didn't invite him. Maybe he wanted him to come, but he was the least of all the sons. And so we got to have somebody out there watching the sheep. So Samuel goes down the line trying to anoint them all to be king. And the Lord's like, nope, 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 nope. He gets all the way to the end. And Samuel says to Jesse, David's father, do you got any more sons? Have I missed it? What's going on? He says, well, there is this one, the, this one little weak. He's the shepherd boy. He said, you better go get him. And then Samuel, he knew. <laughs> he said, and we're not going to sit down until he gets here. Oh, hallelujah. He knew that. 
It doesn't matter what person looks like on the outside, folks. You don't know what God is doing in the heart. You may see somebody, they be tattooed up and pierced up. You may think God would never save them. I'm going to tell you what, God can save anybody from anything. You don't know what God's doing in the heart. He may be raising up the next missionary. He may be raising up a soul winner. God works on the inside. Soon it became obvious that the favor of God was upon David. Even King Saul would ask for him to come to the palace when he was just a teenager and to play songs. And and the staff would ask him because the king was so moody. As he drifted further and further from God, he became more and more moody and more depressed and more despondent and more given to rage and anger. And the king's staff would ask David, do you mind coming and playing your harp? Because we want you to drive away those evil spirits. No doubt, David had a prize. And the prize was the favor of God. And because he had that prize, those around him benefited from it as well. I said those around him benefited from it. I'm going to tell you what. You're going to spend your time hanging out with people. You might as well hang out with people that have the favor of God. Because it will spill over into your life. Don't spend all your time hanging out with people that are critical, that are always running everybody down, that's always criticizing the church, and got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I'm going to tell you what, you ought to make up in your mind, I'm going to get around somebody that will talk about the goodness of God, that's not afraid to worship God, that's in the prayer meetings, that's teaching a home Bible study, that's the ones you want to be with. It'll spill over into your life. Hallelujah. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know. I've, I've had a rough upbringing. I, I don't really see where I've had a prize given to me. Let me just stop and say this right now. If you've ever had a mother or a grandmother pray for you as a child, you had a prize. If your parents love each other, you have been given a prize. If you've been raised in the church, You have been given a prize. If you've ever had somebody teach you a whole Bible study, you've been given a prize. If you've ever been to camp or on a missions trip, you've been given a prize. If you've ever stood at an altar and felt the presence of God, you have been given a prize. If you've ever been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you have been given a prize. If you've ever been healed in your body, you've been given a prize. If you've ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues, you have been given a prize. But the prize has to be protected. The prize must be protected. When David was first made king, he looked around and wanted to know where the Ark of the Covenant was. The staff asked around and the past administration said, you know, we haven't seen that thing in a while. The entire time that King Saul reigned, it had been out out of sight, hidden down on the backside of the desert in Kirjath-Jerim. 
King Saul never even really worried about it. He had no interest, apparently, in the presence of God, unless, of course, he was in a battle with the Philistines and needed to use the ark like a good luck charm, and he'd call for it to come out. But other than that, he really had no interest in having the ark as a part of his house. As the ark abiding with him. Can I just stop and say this? Because I, I was just at this conference in Indianapolis. And I got to talking, Sister Amy, one day when the Holy Ghost was moving, I think it may have been Friday during the day, there were staff workers and security people around us. And I don't even know, Brother Tyler, if you've got a picture of it, but there was a lady that started praying behind us who was one of the staff people. And she started lifting up her, her hands and... And uh, my wife and others started praying for her, and she received the Holy Ghost right there in the middle of the stadium. And I got, I got to talking with uh, her and a couple of other guys that were staff workers, and they said, boy, there's, we've never had anybody like this crowd in this arena. They said a couple of weeks ago, we had the Catholic youth came. And there was about 25,000 of them, and they said uh, a few weeks before that, we had the... Uh, Presbyterian youth, but it's it, not anything like this. They said they, they had good speeches and all, but this is something different. This is something that you can feel. These were staff workers that were telling us this. And I got to thinking about that. And folks, I'm not saying this because I think we're better than anybody else. We're all saved by grace. And every one of us that has ever felt the presence of God, we ought to be thankful every day. But here's what I believe the defining difference is. We don't just go to church. We bring church home with us. We don't just go visit the ark. We take the ark with us. And it doesn't matter if you're in your job or in your school or where you are. Where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty in a stadium, in a church, in a school, in Walmart. It's a light. It's a prize. Saul wanted to use it. And that's the way people are with God. They, they may come to church when they're in trouble, but you want God with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. David said, I'm not interested in just bringing the ark out here when we get in trouble in a battle. I want it to abide here. Anybody in this house want God to abide with you? So when David became king, he wanted to know where's the ark. They finally found it down there in Abinadab's garage. He was so anxious to get it, he forgot to study about how it was to be transported. But they finally got all that figured out. And when it got to Jerusalem, David was so excited. And he was in the streets worshiping. Now he's the king. His wife, who was the former king, Saul's, daughter she had been part of the prize for killing Goliath she was so ashamed of his behavior that she mocked him and here's what she said to David she mocked him and then she said that's not the way a king is supposed to act you're not a shepherd boy anymore 
running through the fields. You're a king. You got to learn how to be dignified. That's how people are nowadays with this Pentecostal experience. You guys aren't in a brush harbor anymore. You guys are on Main Street. Nice building and good jobs and nice clothes. And you got to learn how to be a little more sophisticated. Second Samuel 6, 21. Here's how David responded to Michael, his wife. He said, it was before the Lord which chose me. Before thy father. And before all his house. To appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play. Honey, I ain't trying to impress you. It was God that chose me. It was God that anointed me. It was God that said I can use you. It's before him that we worship. It's before him that we play. We got to protect the prize. What's the prize? The prize is the presence of God so that when people come in this building, we're not here for a lecture. We're not here for some tradition. We're here because God saved us. And it's before Him that we worship. And it's before Him that we magnify God. David was saying it was God that chose me when I was just a young man. And it's before him that I worship. In other words, my worship is toward the one who has favored me from the beginning. Point number one. Worship protects the prize of your relationship with God. So we will never graduate to the place where we don't worship God anymore. Because every time we come together and we sing the songs of Zion and we lift up our voice and we magnify Him in praise and in song and in worship, you know what we are saying? We're saying, thank you, Lord. I'm not going to forget, God, that you saved me and you delivered me and I've got to protect what you have given me in my heart. Oh, come on, you ought to lift your hands and your voice right now if you're thankful that God has given you the prize of his presence. Let everything that has breath. Come on, this is how you protect your relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We worship you, God. I don't know where God may have brought you from. You can be seated. I don't know where God has taken you from. But if God has given 
you favor. As God has given me favor, then you ought to make up in your mind. There's no blessing. There's no position. There's no prestige that's going to keep me from worshiping God. I'm not so sophisticated that I can't worship God in Walgreens. I'm not so sophisticated that I can't bless the Lord in the schoolhouse or the workplace or wherever I go. Come on, the light's got to shine. The light's got to shine. Somebody's got to protect the prize. David was saying, now that I'm king, I'm not going to lose it now. Because it's not about the gifts that you were born with. It's about the gifts that you die with. We live in a day where talent is substituted for character. But not in God's economy. I said not in God's economy. God wants to know what are you doing with what has been given to you? What are you doing with the gifts that have been given to you? When we were at this national Bible quiz tournament and the competition was all over, I was, I was asking God, what lessons should we learn from all of this? We had won some close games, but the games that we lost, we had a strong lead in each game. And I felt the Lord give me an answer. I felt the Lord telling me, here's what you're to learn. You're to learn that you got to protect what has been given to you. Quizzers have been given a prize. They've been raised in the church. They have parents that love them and affirm them. They're not from a broken home. They've been given a good score to start this game called life. But now the question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to finish the game? Are you going to blow the lead? Are you going to be given an advantage in life and have all of this potential and blow it all away for some useless trinket of this world? Or are you going to finish strong? Are you going to protect the prize? Are you going to keep on worshiping God? Are you going to keep on serving God? Are you going to keep on being submitted to God's will for your life? That's the question for all of us. We've all been given a lead. The very fact that you came to church today, you knew the right place to go to feel the presence of God. Some of you that are sitting in this building have had parents that prayed for you and raised you in church. The question for you today is, are you going to protect the prize or give it away? I don't know about you, but I want to protect the prize. I want to finish strong. I want to keep on worshiping God. The second point, and this is illustrated through David's reign as king, is that compassion protects your blessings from God. Worship protects your relationship with God, but compassion protects your blessings from God. There was a time when David had been king for a long time and it was estimated that he was now a billionaire. 
And David is thanking the Lord. One day he's just praying and thanking the Lord for all of God's blessings. And perhaps it was the Lord that put it on his heart. He began to think about his covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan, who had been his best friend, King Saul's son, who should have been the rightful heir to that throne. Jonathan was unselfish enough to recognize that God had called David. And even when it affected his relationship with his father, Jonathan was loyal to David. Because he was kingdom-minded. And David is thinking about his relationship with Jonathan, the vow that they gave to each other to protect the other's children. He wanted to know if Jonathan had any children that were still alive. Jonathan had died in battle with his father, King Saul. Many years later, David, who's king, now thinks about that lineage and thinks about Jonathan and says, does Jonathan have any children? Somebody look ye out over the land and find out. Are there any children that are still alive from Jonathan? The word comes back that he has a son named Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth is crippled. He has been since he was a baby. Because he was just a baby, the maid was carrying him when she heard that her master, Jonathan, had been killed in battle. And as she ran with that little baby, with the news that this baby's father had died in battle. She was so stricken with grief that she dropped the child. Mephibosheth was crippled from that day forward for the rest of his life. And now David's men bring Mephibosheth in his crippled state before King Saul, and he's shaken because he knows that his grandfather spent a majority of his reign as king trying to chase David down and kill him out of jealousy. This is probably going to be the end of my life. Now I'm standing before this king and I can't change the way that I was born and who I was born to. I can't change the fact that I'm crippled and I can't protect myself. I can't change who my grandfather was. And he stands before David, a broken Shaky man. David says, Mephibosheth, from this day forward, you're going to sit at the king's table. Mephibosheth is still scared. He doesn't know if he's being set up for something. His whole life has been marked by hurt and pain. But there's a light in Israel. Good God, I want to speak to some young people that may be living for God in a home where you don't have the support of your parents. I've come to tell you, you keep serving God and that light stays on. I want to say to some parents, your children may not be in church right now, but you keep on coming and you keep on praying and the light will stay on. Raise your hands right now to the Holy Ghost.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. David had nothing to gain for being so kind to this crippled man except to protect the prize of God's blessings in his life by being compassionate to someone else. You see, my friend, many times when David was young and running for his life from King Saul, he had been compassionate. But now that he's king, now that you have the authority, now that you have the blessings, now that you're a billionaire, are you going to still be compassionate? Are you still going to protect the prize of blessings of God in your life? Why do we go to Haiti? Why do we go to Africa? Why do we risk danger and disease? I'll tell you why. Because God has been too good to us to hold it for ourselves. We've got to protect the prize of God's favor and God's blessings. That's why we build orphanages. That's why we build medical clinics. It's incumbent upon you and I as apostolics who have filled the blessings of God, who has delivered. If we had time to have testimonies here tonight, people in this building that have been delivered from alcohol and drugs and pornography and broken homes and broken lives. Oh, I pray that we don't get stingy now that God has been so good. Is there a broken Mephibosheth who's in your neighborhood that you can pick up and bring to church? Is there somebody that you've run in contact with? You can remain standing. I feel the Lord calling us right now. 
David wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect person, and no, neither are we. He was not flawless. But he was tender-hearted. He was quick to admit his mistakes. And when David was sinned, he sinned and he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. David admitted right away that he had sinned. He didn't blame it on anybody else. He didn't use the prophet as a scapegoat. He fills Psalms 61 with his prayers and with his heartfelt cries, 51. And he says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all thine iniquities. Created thee a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This is the cry of a man who's trying to protect the prize. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. He was protecting the prize with his prayers of repentance because ladies and gentlemen repentance protects the prize of your destiny with God repentance protects not where you came from but where you're going David started out with a humble spirit and he was now not going to get prideful now that he was king now that the prophet stood in front of him and chastised him. When he could have had the prophet killed with the snap of a finger. David said, I'm going to protect the prize by responding to the admonition and the love of God's word. You see, my friend, nothing of God is protected with pride. Let me say this again so I make sure you get it. The things of God are not protected with individual pride. The things of God are protected when we are quick to respond with a spirit of humility. To say, not my will, but thy will be done. Pride is what leads us to destruction. Pride is what keeps us on the perimeter. Pride is what causes the prize to be in limbo. But when a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, will say, Lord, I will respond to your word. I'm not where I need to be. But I'm going to come to this altar this morning and I'm going to make things right. I'm here to tell you there's a God that will respond to you. He won't turn you away. He won't judge you on your past mistakes. He's got a prize for you. He's got an anointing for you. I wonder right now, is there anybody that's ready to respond? Would you step out from where you're standing right now? Would you make your way down to this altar? Come on, come with a heart full of compassion. 
a humble spirit, an attitude of worship. I'm not going to blame anybody else. I'm going to just say, God, here I am with all of my scars, with all the mistakes, with all the flaws. Here I am, God. And I'm asking you to touch me right now. Come on, it's the humility of a human spirit that drives out the oppressor. Come on, that's it. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Come down to this altar and say, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, saith the Lord. You can't get to the altar. Why don't you stand right where you're at and lift your hands and your voice? We bless you, Lord, and we praise you. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. That's it. Use your voice. Use your voice and cry out to God. We bless the mighty name of Jesus. We bless the mighty name of Jesus. We exalt you, Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We're gonna protect the prize of your presence. We lift our voices under your Lord. Jesus.